the amount of genetic diversity we see in creatures uh, should be very limited because things have only been evolving for the last 4,000 years from a very uh, small uh, pool of parents uh, that could fit on the ark. So if you really think about it, these creationists are actually mega evolutionists. The Rational View is a weekly series hosted by me, Dr. Alan Scott, providing a rational, evidence-based perspective addressing important societal issues. Hello and welcome to another podcast of The Rational View. I'll be your host, Dr. Al Scott. On this podcast, I'd like to talk to you about how to debate against the forces of ignorance. Now, if you haven't been living under a rock for the past little while, you'll know that the forces of ignorance have been making a comeback in this world, and that's one of the reasons I started this podcast, was that I've been pro-science and pro-rationality, and the forces of woo and uh, confusion have been winning, uh, so it seems, thanks to the fertile manure of the internet echo chamber. We have flat-earthism, we have uh, all these crazy anti-vax folks out trying to kill us, Uh and this particular one, I want to help arm you so you can help me fight the good fight, spread the word, uh, combat idiocy, stamp out pseudoscience, and argue effectively uh, to bring rationality back to the world. This is my mandate, my raison d'etre. This is why I'm here. Um, and if you like this and you find it interesting, please like Please comment. Please share. Uh, this particular podcast is important because it sets the stage, gives you the sort of tools and the arms and armor that you will need to go out there and fight the good fight. Now, my background, I've been refining this method for decades. I've been, you know, ever since I was in university, uh, pushing uh, on the side of science against the forces of ignorance. I started out many, many years ago when the internet was yet new on uh, a news group uh, called Talk.Origins. And this was basically a debate uh, area for uh, talking about origins like evolution uh, versus creationism. And basically what I was doing was I was enjoying flaming creationists. Uh, there was a group of us, of university folk, who pretty well dominated the internet at the, those early years. Uh, and every fall, a flood of sheltered Southern Baptist kids would get their first uh, internet account in, as they entered university. And they would come on here to evangelize and try to convince us that evolution was a tool of Satan. Uh, and they would be spouting the same old straw man arguments that their leaders had foisted on them or their parents had given to them in homeschooling. And we would then try to enlighten them. And there was a host of folks that would just jump on and flame away. And I was one of them, I admit it. Um, but there were also several real geologists and microbiologists and um, university grad students, really extremely smart folk at the cutting edge of science, who would take their uh, straw man arguments and cut them apart with scathing rebuttals, with real evidence and real data without ever stooping to insults. And that inspired me. I was like, wow, these guys are good. I wish I could do that. And I realized that I don't know enough about the topic to add my two cents worth. Um, 
So I studied and I followed the group and I learned and I read things and I went and listened to these people and listened and listened and listened and learned to the point where I got some confidence. I felt that I knew a little bit about evolution and I knew all about the fake arguments and straw mans that were being um, caricat- we were being caricatured uh, by the right and the Southern Baptists who had uh, outlawed evolution teaching in the schools. Uh, so to give you a little bit of background so that you can come up to speed, so to speak, uh, this podcast should help you uh, come up to the basic speed. Uh, I'll go through a few of their arguments um, and hopefully give you some counter arguments. There's a lot of resources out there. Talk.Origins is one good resource on the internet if you're if you're searching for debunking arguments, but there's there's definitely a lot out there. So you've heard evolution. It's just a theory. Right? People have used this argument many times to say, oh, well, let's not think about it then. Well, the use of theory here is in the scientific sense. The theory of evolution is natural selection. It was written, it was discovered by Charles Darwin in his, uh, in his original book uh, back in the 19th century. But evolution is not only a theory. Evolution is also a fact. Evolution in terms of what natural selection was trying to explain the observation that natural selection is trying to explain is descent with modification and this was originally uh, noticed by early christian uh, scientists and monks and these people looking through the geology and the fossil record trying to figure out uh, you know the book that god wrote and try to understand the mind of god they came to the conclusion that uh, life has sprung from simpler forms and become more complex over time, and they didn't know why. And natural selection was kind of the unifying principle that brought it all together. It's become the central organizing principle of all biology. Without evolution, you really have no idea why things are the way they are. And there's also a lot of misconceptions out there that we should uh, attack uh, early on. Um, so evolution misconceptions, many people think that evolution is a ladder from simple to more complex to better to intelligence, right? It's not. Evolution has no goal. Functions can be lost if they no longer provide a competitive advantage. You've heard of survival of the fittest. Well, effectively, that's what evolution is. It's it's survival of whoever is best adapted to the environment that they find themselves in, and whoever can pass on their genes most efficiently uh, wins this competition. So it's not necessarily the smartest person or the uh, most advanced people. There's no direction to evolution. Yes, it start it it came from simple things, and so it has randomly walk to more complex things because you can't get simpler than the initial thing uh, that that started evolving. And evolution has made a lot of predictions and many of these predictions have been uh, verified. Uh, suggest some of these uh, predictions would be uh, that for one, DNA was not discovered when Darwin wrote his book uh, about, on natural selection. So Darwin postulated that there would be some sort of um, genetic material, some gene-carrying uh, thing that is passed on uh, 
through the uh, egg and sperm to the next generation. Uh, and there's some imperfect process of replication that would have to happen, uh, which allow for physically inheritable traits and random changes in these traits. And DNA was then discovered, and this is a huge verification of, of the natural selection theory. Darwin also proposed that trans transitional fossils would be found, and many have. Um, there's been there's continuously new transitional fossils being found. Um, another prediction one would say would be fossil reconstructions of of lineages will correspond broadly with the genetic similarities that we find in the DNA, and this is broadly true. Certainly, there are some mischaracterizations that have been corrected through genetic analysis. Um, but, you know, fossil tracing is an imperfect science. Newer species will be found above their ancestors in the fossil record. Uh, and this is the case. We don't find highly advanced uh, creatures at the bottom of the fossil record. It's just, they're just not there. There's, a, there's an obvious progression through the fossil record, uh, and it's not complete. There are many holes and there are many uh, transitions. So, as I studied up and learned more about this, I also learned about debating and uh, the debating skills that you need to get your message across to people that have been brainwashed by their leaders and are part of a tribe and have come to talk to you about the Word of God or to talk to you about why evolution is morally bankrupt and why scientists are all atheists. Um, of course, not true. There's a lot of religious scientists out there, and science has nothing to do with m morality, per se. Morality is something that people make up uh, and apply to their daily lives. So many scientists would debate these creationists, and they would get their asses handed to them. Uh, if you're looking at debating these people, um, scientists by nature are trained to uh, not be biased and to always present counter arguments and never come across as certain when they're talking about things. And this doesn't play well in debates. Also, scientists are often pretty cocky coming up against uh, creationists and, and these sort of uh, people because they feel they're brainless rednecks that don't know anything. But what they don't realize is that debating in front of an audience is not about facts. A lot of it is about style and how certain you are and how well you come across and how you can connect to the audience. The debating style you often see from these people, and these people are, are you know, professional speakers or pastors, it's typically some sort of a gish gallop. Gish gallop is... Uh, I'll explain later, it's basically throwing sh shade randomly and inaccurately at many multiple targets in a shotgun-like fashion and then falling back onto a false dichotomy. Uh, so the idea is we're going to punch holes in a whole bunch of scientific arguments, create uncertainty, and say, because science has been wrong before, God must have therefore done it. And this is uh, made famous by Dwayne Gish, uh, former VP of the Institute for Creation Research, uh, who would use this tactic quite a bit. And it puts the scientists on the defensive. Um, it's not a, not a 
it works really well in, in, in the debates for these people. And they usually, of course, don't have their own coherent theory of creationism. There is no coherent theory of creationism. Uh, and they can often be uh, countered on the basis that creationism is not science because it makes no predictions. And the predictions that it does make have been falsified. So creationism, first of all, is not science like evolution. There is no theory of creation. God did it is the only theory of creation that exists. And that's not science because it's not falsifiable and it has no predictive power. Um, I suppose you could pretend to know the mind of God, uh, but that's always fraught with difficulty. If anyone claims that they know the mind of God, then something happens and they fall back on, well, the mind of God is mysterious and we can't understand it. Um, think about the predictions you might make if you assumed a literal book of Genesis, that God created the earth, there was a Garden of Eden, there was a global flood that killed everything. Um, now, the young earth creationists are the people that have gone through the Bible and added up all of the uh, names in the genealogies, and they figure that uh, the world is something like a thousand years old. Uh, and the flood happened and destroyed all life, and uh, all of geology came from the flood, and there, there are various um, different flavors of young earth creationists, but their main idea is that the book of Genesis is a literal science textbook for what God did uh, to the earth. So what kind of predictions might one make if that were the case? Well, the book of Genesis says that in the Garden of Eden, all the animals were vegetarians and nothing was adapted for meat eating until the original sin. Uh, so we should not find any animals that are adapted for eating meat. Um, another prediction one might make if one assumed that the Bible was literal, the Genesis account was literal, was that uh, all the Australian marsupials should be great swimmers, having all migrated from Mount Ararat about 4,000 years ago. Um, another prediction one might make was that the amount of genetic diversity we see in creatures uh, should be very limited because things have only been evolving for the last 4,000 years from a very um, small uh, pool of parents uh, that could fit on the ark. So if you really think about it, these creationists are actually mega evolutionists because the amount of biodiversity that exists currently is consistent with hundreds of thousands and millions of years of evolution and many common ancestors you can trace back the DNA are hundreds of thousands and millions of years ago uh, so the creationists have to say that all of this evolution happened uh, from a, f a limited set of pairs uh, that existed 4,000 years ago, and all of the species that we see today uh, emerged from that. Uh, so that's, a, that's a, a strange contradiction, one might say. In fact, because they don't have their own scientific theory, one really should uh, classify creationists as theistic anti-evolutionists. They mainly feel that Darwin's discovery of a naturalistic process of descent with modification removes too much agency from their limited concept of God. So knowing all this, I decided that I was ready to go and 
um, move from the internet to the to the real world. And uh, while I was a graduate student, uh, one of the local uh, Baptist churches sponsored a, a creationist lecture at the university. They rented the lecture hall, and uh, noted creationist Ken Ham uh, from Answers in Genesis, who was a literalist young earth creationist, uh, was going to tell us all about how uh, morally bankrupt uh, scientists and evolution was. Um, and he came out, and I decided I would come and, and try to engage him with the arguments that I had been working on. Uh, so he uh, had all of the old tired straw men arguments, you know, flood geology, all of the layers of, of rock that we see were laid down in the global flood 4,000 years ago. Uh, the fossil uh, progression uh, was actually due to hydrological sorting of uh, small things settling to the bottom and large things coming to the top while the rocks formed. Uh, he brought out the tired old Paluxy Mantrax argument. There's a place, I think, in Texas near the Paluxy River, I think, uh, where they have dinosaur tracks in the stone. And people had been... Um, hewing out uh, human-shaped footprints next to them and selling them as souvenirs. And it turns out that uh, uh, they eventually admitted to the hoax they were just doing it for money, but creationists used this to show that humans and dinosaurs coexisted. He uh, ridiculed scientists, uh, told people to use common sense. You know, scientists uh, think that people and tomatoes have a common ancestor. Next thing you'll say, we're related to rocks. Uh, and he would say that we're insulting his intelligence while he was actually insulting ours. Uh, so how do you debate these people? Well, I was able to highlight some of his contradictions. Um, he actually, you know, he was asking people questions and making fun of uh, some of their very poorly worded responses because a lot of the people weren't prepared. But I... I pop my head, hand up and I said, okay, so you believe that all of the rocks were laid down during the flood. Why would there be man tracks next to dinosaur tracks in these rocks that were laid down during a violent flood? How did that happen? Were they uh, going down to the bottom of the ocean and uh, walking along during the flood? Um, so he, he was kind of a, a little bit stumped there. But he continued on. He never, uh, he never let me uh, answer any more questions after that, uh, because I obviously knew what I was talking about. Um, so what do you do? You you highlight their contradictions. You know what their arguments are. You have the counter arguments ready, and you question their theology. Young Earth creationism is a naive interpretation of what one might consider an obviously allegorical passage. Genesis, uh, the book of Genesis was written back when um, the monotheistic religions were fighting with the polytheistic uh, religions. Uh, the, the idea of Genesis was to show that the, the one God had dominion over all of these other things, over the, the lights and the sky and the, the plants and the animals and everything. So it was written from a theological standpoint as an allegorical passage to, to help people, I, I think. Um, another thing you can mention if you're talking to these people or, or engaging them is that most religions have 
uh, statements accepting evolution as the most likely explanation for the naturalistic world as we see it today. Uh, there are very few religions that haven't uh, accepted this amongst their uh, thinking people. Another thing you can say is that the earth is God's primary creation. And if a literal interpretation of the Bible contradicts it, maybe that interpretation is what's wrong. Maybe God expects us to use our minds and explore his primary uh, creation and use that as a guide to interpreting the Bible. And this has been echoed many times by theologians. The early uh, Christian uh, St. Augustine wrote, If anyone shall set the authority of holy writ against clear and manifest reason, he who does this knows not what he has undertaken, for he opposes to the truth not the meaning of the Bible, which is beyond his comprehension, but rather his own interpretation, not what is in the Bible, but what he has found in himself and imagines to be there. And there's a, there are many passages that you could uh, have in the back pocket to, 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 take, uh, to show these people how poorly they are doing. Uh, Hebrews 13.9, Be not carried about with diverse and strange doctrines. First uh, Timothy uh, chapter 1, verse 4, Neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies, which minister questions, rather than edifying which is in faith. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 20, O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust, avoiding profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science, falsely so-called. So you can see that young earth creationism is bad theology. It is not science. It's a cult. And I want to give you the tools to counter some of their most basic arguments, straw mans that they're going to throw at you. So they use the word kinds because that's found in the Bible and in Genesis discussing Noah took two of each kind of animal onto his ark. Um, and they believe in microevolution, which is change of traits that you can see over short periods of time. And they uh, differentiate that from macroevolution, which would be change, speciation events effectively, or chain, large changes. Uh, and maybe because they don't believe in ages larger than 4,000 to 6,000 years, they can't understand how accumulation of small changes might add up to large changes. Um, macroevolution is effectively microevolution over e over eons. Uh, the fact that we don't see completely new species popping into existence uh, is actually evidence against creationism because that's what creationism posits. Ev evolution posits the slow gradual change or the theory of evolution by natural selection anyways. Evidence for macroevolution exists in the fossil record. Missing, link, missing links have been found. Um, I remember the discovery of the land ancestors of Wales. Uh, a long-expected uh, discovery was made. Um, dinosaur bird intermediaries have been discovered in China. Feathered dinosaurs. There's the Archaeopteryx, which is a very close uh, form to, to that intermediary. And there are a lot of uh, really bad arguments too that caricature evolution and you should be ready with rebuttals if they if they haul these out i often see that it's circulating through facebook this is an old chestnut if people evolve from apes 
Why are there still apes? Oh, this is a deep thinker. I always counter that one by saying, if North Americans descended from Europeans, why are there still Europeans? Uh, often they'll ask, you know, where are all the transitional fossils? That used to be a big rebuttal to uh, evolution because uh, the fossil record is not complete and there are so many gaps uh, due to the fact that fossilization is not a common process and the, the factors have to be just right and some environments just aren't any good for fossilization. But there, as I say, there have been several transitional fossils found. And the problem is that each new transitional fossil creates two new gaps. Uh, so the, the god of the gaps lives in smaller and smaller gaps. The question I would ask back is, why are there any at all if creationism is true? Another, another argument that they'll trot out is that a cell is far too complex to spring into existence randomly. Imagine a tornado in a junkyard making an airplane. That's the sort of likelihood that you would have uh, natural processes forming a cell all at once. Well, that's true. That is definitely true. No one expects a cell to fully form and pop into existence randomly. That's a straw man argument, though. Evolution does not pose, posit that. Evolution uh, would suggest that as soon as you have any self-replicating any self-replicating chemical process, it can evolve and become more complex. Uh, viruses are very simple creatures. Um, that only uh, reproduce in cells, but you you can also have just uh, RNA compounds or DNA compounds um, which are self-replicating without the cellular machinery in a sea of um, protobiological compounds which naturally form uh, in the environment through uh, carbon and energy. Uh, and this is the uh, this. Uh, the Miller-Urey experiment actually um, showed that these biological precursor chemicals form naturally uh, when you bring the uh, precursors together and have a spark like a lightning strike. And these things also form naturally in meteors. Uh, the carbonaceous coatings on meteors form very complex uh, biological precursor molecules. So one thing you should do think about is there's a difference between abiogenesis and evolution. Evolution assumes that there is, you start with a um, uh, something that can evolve, some sort of imperfectly replicating chemical process, and it becomes more complex over time, adds on cellular machinery, uh, goes from the simplest, um, the simplest process up until much more complex things. Abiogenesis is the study of how did the first self-replicator uh, come to be. And there's a lot of different theories, but nobody really knows what it is. But there are a lot of potential uh, routes that this could have happened, and this is an active area of investigation. People just don't know uh, how the initial uh, evolution seed uh, was generated. And it's a, you know, you could you could try to posit a god of the gaps there if you wanted to for now. Um, but don't hang your whole theology on it because I'm pretty sure it's going to be solved. Another uh, big argument that people use these days is intelligent design. 
uh, or irreducible complexity. And this argument basically posits that uh, it's an argument from ignorance. It says that things that are very complex, uh, I can't think of how it evolved uh, slowly and naturally to the point where it is now. Therefore, an intelligent being designed it. That's that's their big argument these days. Uh, and all you need to do is posit a, uh, a pathway and you can debunk it. Um, and this has been done in several different cases, like the eye, for example, has been a, uh, one thing where, you know, you can't have half an eye. That's what they'll say. But you actually can. There are a lot of creatures with just uh, photosensitive skin cells. There are some with photosensitive skin cells in uh, recessed cups. There are some with photosensitive skin cells and a pinhole camera over top of it. There's a very smooth gradation of different eye structures that, although the eye itself seems irreducibly complex, there is obviously an existing pathway of, of organisms with... Um, much less functional eyes uh, that do exist even today. Uh, and one last uh, thing I want to teach you is how to defend against the Gish Gallop. Now, I mentioned that earlier. This is when um, the creationist sprays um, false and misleading uh, accusations against a whole slew of scientific arguments. And if the scientist bites on this and tries to debunk everything they said, it bores the audience, and the audience sees the uh, scientist on the defensive and the creationist on the offensive. And it really is a bad way to defend uh, in a debate. So if someone is giving you the gish gallop, come back at them and say, look, everything you've said is false. I have counter-arguments for all of it, but I don't want to bore the audience. Why don't you give me your best argument, and we'll discuss that in detail. And this is where it shines because now they come up with their best argument and if you decisively refute it they end up looking foolish and then you have time to go on the attack attack their lack of a theory attack their inconsistencies attack their theology research your opponent know their arguments and inconsistencies know how to quickly rebut their favorite arguments and this is important don't scoff don't call names you are trying to talk to the audience here. You're trying to sway an audience of people who have not had exposure to scientists. And scientists to them are evil elites in ivory towers. And these are their pastors and their leaders whom they've believed. And they don't want to be seen to be listening because it might ostracize them. So you have to be very careful and treat them with respect. Okay? Treat the person kindly. And, you know, tell them they're doing their best to understand a very complex topic and you've been studying it for a long time and you understand how someone could be confused. Uh, be polite. This is Al's first rule of debate victory. The first one to call names is the loser. Keep your cool. It's very important. Take the high road. Do your homework and make me proud. If you enjoyed this podcast, please tune in again for next week's podcast where I discuss solutions to the climate change issue, especially centering around the dreaded N-word, nuclear. Thank you for listening.